Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at elevatepod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at elevatepod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here and I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with the great Mark Hirschberg today, the author of the Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success that No One Taught You. And we go deep today on those skills and we're giving you tips and insight on how to take those things to the next level. We're going to teach you and you're going to learn today about how to take your networking skills to the next level. You're going to learn how to take your negotiating skills to the next level. By the way, this is the most valuable skill that you can learn and it can make you millions of dollars. And I think today's episode is worth millions of dollars. I'm going to go out on a ledge and say that. You're also going to learn how to take your communication skills to the next level. That also, of course, impacts the way that you negotiate, the way that you network, the way that you build relationships that can give you access, that can grant you access. We're also going to teach you and you're going to learn how to take your leadership to the next level. Because if you're an investor, you know that it comes down to leading other people. It comes down to leading your lenders, your, your vendors, your property managers, your staff, your team your residents, your tenants. There's so many different ways in which leadership is important as a real estate investor. You're going to learn how to take your leadership to the next level. You're also going to learn how to evolve as a real estate investor, as an entrepreneur over the course of your career, because the only constant is change. And today we are going to give you practical tips and practical steps in terms of how to take these things to the next level I really think you're going to love this conversation. Elevate Nation, Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chester, and I am a high-performance real estate investor and a professional real estate coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. Before we dive into this conversation, I want to invite you to pay the fee. The fee is just to pay it forward. Share this episode with a friend. If you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on any podcast platform, all you have to do is grab that link and share it now. If you've done that before, we thank you. And we just ask that you do that again, because the only way that we can grow, the only way that we can continue to add value is if we grow. And the only way that we can grow is by earning the value of your introduction. So please share this episode. Send in a text message, send in an email, post it on social media, grab the link, screenshot this episode and tell someone else, what is it that you love about this podcast? It's really easy and it means the world to me. It means the world to us and our team. So please go ahead and share this episode. Also give us a rating, a review and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast on wherever it is that you listen or watch podcast. Uh, also, I would like to hear your feedback. Send me an email, info at elevatepod.com. I want to know, what do you like about Elevate? What do you love about Elevate? What do you dislike? What do you want to see more of? What do you want to see less of? We want you to own the future of this podcast, and I'm inviting you to do that right now. 
So please go ahead and send me an email at info at elevatepod.com or send me a DM on Instagram at elevatepod. I want to know from you because you are Elevate Nation. You are really the owners of this future of this podcast. And so I want to give you that. And um, I'm so thankful for you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. If it's your first time listening, you're in for a treat. Today's episode is phenomenal. I want to introduce you to Mark Hirschberg, who is the author of the Career Toolkit, Essential Skills for Success That No One Taught You. From tracking criminals and terrorists on the dark web to creating marketplaces and new authentication systems, Mark has spent his career launching and developing new ventures at startups and Fortune 500s and in academia. He helped to start the Undergraduate Practice Opportunities Program, dubbed MIT's Career Success Accelerator, where he teaches annually. At MIT, he received a BS in physics, a BS in electrical engineering and computer science, and an M-Engineer in Electrical Engineering and Computer Science, focusing on crypto- cryptography. Spit it out, Tyler. Here we go. At Harvard Business, Business School, Mark helped create a platform that uh, used to teach finance at prominent business schools. He also works with many nonprofits, including Techie Youth and Plant a Million Corals. He was one of the top-ranked ballroom dancers in the country and now lives in New York City, where he is well-known for his social gatherings, including his annual Halloween party, as well as his diverse cufflink collection. So without further ado, please enjoy this very insightful, applicable, and actionable conversation with Mark Hirschberg. Mark Hirschberg, welcome to Elevate. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show today. Oh, I'm I'm so excited about our conversation today. And uh, just so the audience knows, I mean, we we tried to do this a week ago. And you know what? Construction came in and we were not able to do our conversation at that time. But I was just so struck by how friendly you were and how accommodating you were. Obviously, that was it was going on at your place. Um, but at the end of the day, it really showed me a lot about you. And so I'm excited about this conversation. I'm excited about introducing you to Elevate Nation. Before we dive into this conversation, Mark, if you were to describe yourself in the way that the people that know you best, the people that know you have known you the longest or the deepest, what would they say about Mark Hirschbord? How would they describe you? Very intellectual, driven, and compassionate. I love that. Look at that. Just straight to the point. And uh, it's, there's no doubt about it. There's no ambiguity to that. So intellectual, passionate, and straight to the point. Where does I would that come from? And concise, but that would have gone on too long. <laughs> That's exactly right. Where did that come from? Have you always been that way, or has that just been the development over the years? Or where did that come from? The first two, I think, were somewhat innate. Growing up as a child, I was always very determined and driven. I was intellectually curious, and my wonderful parents very much encouraged education and learning and that intellectual side of me. And the compassion was something that I don't think I necessarily had growing up. I really kind of think of myself as a Vulcan. I am your classic 80s nerd and very left-brained, analytical, emotions just got in the way. But of course, a true Star Trek fan understands the Vulcans are actually very emotional people. They just suppress it. And I recognize that there were areas where I could probably stand to do better. Some of those are what I cover in the book. But 
emotional intelligence and being able to connect and empathize with others was an area where I knew I was weak and wanted to get stronger. And I worked on developing myself as someone who could connect and empathize with others. And so now it's become a very strong part of my personality. That's awesome. Talk a little bit about your upbringing, your backstory, because I think it, it's it's helpful to understand where people come from. It's really helpful to understand that, hey, there was a weakness that you were able to strengthen over the years. But give us a more of a sense of your backstory. I mentioned I was a classic 80s nerd. And so I grew up very intellectual, very into STEM, and wound up going to MIT, where I got degrees in computer science, electrical engineering, physics, did my graduate work in cryptography. That's basically a branch of mathematics. We do the secret codes and stuff that keeps your data secure. I had a very interesting, unexpected outcome though. When I graduated from MIT in the 90s, I started as a software developer. Not surprising given where and when I was. And I knew early on they wanted to become a CTO, a chief technology officer. As I looked to understand what is that, how do I qualify? I realized even though it wasn't explicitly in a job description, being the CTO wasn't just about being the best engineer. Yes, I had to have good engineering skills, but I needed other skills like leadership, communication, team building, negotiating. No one ever taught me these skills. They weren't covered in high school or college. I had heard of them, right? Everyone says networking so important, but no one stops to teach it to us. So I had to develop those skills in myself. And as I was doing so, I realized these skills are not just for the executives or not just for senior people. Everyone, including the most junior people, can benefit from it. So I began to train up my team. And while I was doing this, MIT had gotten feedback from companies. Now, the feedback they got, and I've seen similar feedback at other universities, companies are saying, we want to see these skills, leadership, communication, team building, networking. We want to see these in the people we hire, not just out of school, but in general but we can't find it. So MIT wanted to put together a program to help instill these skills in our students. When I heard about this, I reached out. I said, hey, I've been developing this for my team. Can I help you? They invited me to come help create the course. And in doing so, they said, you know, we'd love you to come help teach it. We have these wonderful professors, but you bring a certain practical skill set, experience from the field that they don't have. Can you help us teach this class? And so I've now been teaching there for the past 20 years. So I've had this parallel career. I'm a CTO. I've done classic startups. I've helped Fortune 500s play startup. But in parallel, I've been teaching at MIT and elsewhere and also have the book and the speaking I do related to professional development. Okay. So, you know, it's so interesting because many of the listeners are shaking their head thinking, well, yeah, of course, when I got started in my career as well, it's like, I didn't learn about networking or I didn't learn about, you know, communication or negotiating. I mean, especially in real estate, I mean, some of these things are critical to your success. And it's also funny to think back to say, well, wait a minute, we didn't learn about, you know, tax strategy and all these things, but what are, what are the other things that we missed in our intellect or in our academic career that then we had to kind of put the pieces together if we wanted to grow as an investor, of course, as an entrepreneur as well. And so I think it's really, really cool that you, you realize this and then you said, Hey, well, how do I develop this? And then how do I start to give that away? So that brings us to obviously writing the career toolkit and the essential, the essential skills for success that no one taught you. And, and I think that just really resonates with folks. So when did you start writing the book and, and um, you know, in all that, obviously you started teaching at MIT, but was that along the same lines or the same time, time frame? Well, I've been teaching for 20 years now. 
The right. book began, I was traveling a lot for work, spending lots of times on planes and hotels. And so I had some spare time. And for years, I had been encouraging MIT to take what we do and share it elsewhere. MIT pioneered online learning. We we're the first people to put our courses online for free. I said, you know, we, we know that this helps other people. Let's get out there. Let's share it with other schools. Let's put some content online. And they kept saying, yes, yes, good idea. But we've had a whole bunch of things going on in the program where we just never had the time and the capability to do that. So I thought, well, I've got free time now. Let me just write up some notes. And I thought I'd be writing 20 pages of notes. These are notes that the students can take with them because it's a hands-on class. They're not saying they're taking notes all the time. They're doing. But let me write down notes because I know they don't take a lot. And maybe we can share this online and give this to other folks. So I thought I was writing 20 pages. Well, that became 40, became 80. And once it passed 100, I said, you know, I think this might actually be a book. So that was 2019 when I wrote it. And I often get asked, how long did it take you to write it? I wrote the book in about three, four months. But the caveat is I've been teaching for 20 years. Yeah. That's when the real work was done, the developing. This was just getting it out of my head and onto paper. No, that's awesome. And uh, I'm, I'm thinking about writing a book myself. And I think about all the work that goes into that. But I think you said it there. It's it's your experience that has come together that allows you to share this wisdom. So let's serve the listeners today. I really want to serve the listeners and, and pick apart really some of these concepts that you've been studying, that you've been teaching, that you've been embodying for decades and decades. And of course, uh, you're sharing in this book as well. I want to help the listeners take things to the next level because in, as investors, as entrepreneurs, these concepts are critical. And so I think you've got some insights that really can help folks do that. Let's start with networking because I think the centerpiece to success in real estate investing and, and allowing this vehicle to allow us to design our life it comes to, it comes down to relationships. It comes down to adding value to other people. So talk to me about the wrong way, the right way to network. Because the first thing that I think about when I hear the word networking is like the guy in the stale suit in the corner of the networking event, who's passing out his business card saying, Hey, do business with me, do business with me. And I just want to blast through that first, but talk to me a little bit about the right way and the wrong way to network. That's exactly the image most of us have. The guy who collects the most business cards at the event, well, he's the best networker. And that's either what we see at an event. It's certainly what they show if you're looking at a montage from Hollywood, because they don't show you someone who has long-term, multiple conversations building a relationship. They show the handshakes, the, the business cards. But that is not the right way to network. The metric is not how many business cards did you get. Consider people say, well, look, I got this business card or I add this person on LinkedIn, so he's in my network. Well, saying someone connected to you on LinkedIn is automatically in your network. That's like saying someone who swiped right on me on Tinder is now my significant other. <laughs> right. If I came to you and said, oh, look, here's Carol. She just swiped right on me. I'm in love. She's going to be my wife. <laughs> okay, Mark, we got to have a little talk here. <laughs> right. Now, we know she's expressed some interest. But what do I have to do? Well, I have to actually build that relationship, which would normally be going out on dates with her. We don't date per se in our business relationships, but that business card exchange or that connection on LinkedIn, that's a swipe right. But now you have to build that relationship. And we know it takes time. 
So the mentality we need to have is not simply I've added all these connections, but I have invested in building these relationships. And that's how you have to think about it. It's been interesting because during COVID, a whole bunch of people said, oh, this is terrible. I can't network. I can't see anyone. I said, no, this is wonderful because in fact, obviously COVID itself is not, not great, but there's a silver lining here, which is when we think about relationship building, often we say, okay, well, hey, why don't we get together for coffee? And I'm very good at meeting people for coffee in the New York area. I'm terrible if you're living more than about 100 miles away because I don't get that far from my city, right? <laughs> Maybe if I'm in San Francisco, I'll meet up with you then. But during COVID, I could say, hey, you know what? I'm not driving into the office. I've got all this free time. Let me do a virtual coffee, say every Thursday morning. And whereas in 2019, if I said, let's do a virtual coffee, you'd say, what the hell is that? <laughs> right now, now we all get, and you can keep up and develop your network long distance in ways that were not as usual uh, pre-pandemic. That's a really good thought. And I, I almost look at like all these technological tools as extensions of ourself and it, it doesn't replace ourselves, but it allows us to amplify our impact and our connection with other people one-to-one. And the thing that I think about from a from a networking perspective and a relationship building perspective is play the long game, invest in long term relationships. It's like, let's make a deposit after deposit after deposit and only ask for a withdrawal if, you know, it really makes sense. And it's got to be a certain period of time before it really makes sense. And it's got to value that person as well. So talk to me about some other principles that you think are important for folks who are looking to take their networking to the next level as well. Well, you're exactly right about that. If, for example, I needed to move out of my apartment this weekend, because maybe that construction is just driving me nuts. Okay, time <laughs> to move. Who am I going to ask? Is it the guys I just met at the bar last night? Hey, great drinking with you. Why don't you guys come over to my place this weekend, spend 10 hours helping carry down my couch a couple of flights of stairs? Or is it the people who I've known for 10, 15 years where you have that good long-term relationship? The bigger the ask, the deeper the relationship necessary to get that. And so we have to, as you said, cultivate those relationships over time. There is a fun book written by, and suddenly I'm uh, Harvey Mackey. Um, his second book was titled, Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. Hmm. I think that really encapsulates the concept of networking, which is lay that groundwork today so it's there tomorrow. I like that. And, and I almost like the, the thought process and the mindset of giving to other people without any expectation for anything in return, because I feel like you can tell when it's like, oh, you're digging your well before you're thirsty, aren't you? I can really feel that. And so it's like that thought process mixed with, hey, you know what? I'm just being generous. I'm, I'm truly just giving. The abundance mentality is true because if I, I, I know that if I give to someone else, if I do the right thing on their behalf, that the right thing will come around to me. And I feel like there's a different energy in that. I don't know if that resonates with you, Mark. No, that's exactly right. And I often talk of networking as karmic. I'm not a, a big spiritual person, but there's this karma of, well, I'm just going to go and help other people. Now, there's a limit. If you said, hey, Mark, we just met, but come help me move out of my apartment. <laughs> uh, I think I'm busy this weekend. But ways I can help others, especially things that are either low cost or a sufficient cost for the nature of the relationship, happy to give that. In fact, if you look at the career story I gave, when I heard MIT was putting together this program, I just reached out and said, hey, I hear you're trying to do this. 
can I help? I just thought I'd be giving a certain amount of hours, giving away some content I created for free to this group and I'd get nothing in return. But as it turned out, they said, come help teach. And I've been teaching for 20 years. That certainly gives me some credibility. And that led to the book and the speaking and all the wonderful things that came from that. None of that was planned or intentional. I just said, oh, I see a way I can help. And you never know where it can lead. No, that's so good. And, and I actually have a personal example as well. Our, uh, we have one of our broker relationships is building their business across the country and they're, they're, they're finding, they're, they're networking and they're building their team and they're looking for talented people. And a lot of people ask me, they say, well, how do we find deals in this market? And what I say is give, give to other people. If you want to receive, you got to give. And what we did was we sat down and said, hey, look, here are some people that we think that you guys should be looking at. You know, we wanted to give you some insight on the folks that we think are talented in the markets that you want to enter into. And they were so thankful for it. And of course, this conversation was literally yesterday. So who knows what comes back to us? But we wanted them to know that, hey, look, we're here to support you. We want you to be successful. And they know, of course, if they're successful, we're successful. And so that's a great example of how we can invest in other people in this business. But are there any other practical tips or suggestions that you might have for folks who want to really take their networking game to the next level? Yeah, let me first share a very similar example, something I was going to mention to you later, because you mentioned doing a book. When I went to do my book, I read about 1,500 articles on every aspect I could find on writing a book. I started saving the best ones. Well, this became a list that I could hand out to other people. And now I've got on the Cognosco Media website, so C-O-G-N-O-S-C-O media.com slash resources for anyone thinking of writing a book. But here's the thing. I, at the time, knew nothing about writing a book. I couldn't write a blog post. I couldn't go on to some podcasts. I'm a book expert, but I found all these other resources. So even though I had nothing myself to offer, just by accumulating this, now I had something of value. I didn't create the content. I just kind of organized it and put it in one place, but that was convenient for people. And even though I was a novice, I could now offer something of value to other people. So even for the junior people listening, you can say, you know what? I can just link you to other things. And in fact, this is another key idea in networking because junior people often say to me, well, I've got nothing to offer. I'm in college. I'm just out of school. I'm just starting in this industry. I have nothing to offer. You first have more than you think. You can create things as I described, but also you are connected to other people your value to your network includes everyone else in your network. And so you never know who you know that might be valuable to someone else. So never think you have nothing to offer. All of us have something to offer. That is really good. And I think you just opened the minds of all the listeners to say, well, what, what else can I add value? What, how other, what other ways can I add value no matter where I'm at? You know, no matter where I'm at in terms of my experience, my my expertise, my influence in the marketplace, you have some sort of influence uh, because you do have relationships. Right. And and there's so much more that we could go on beyond that. But one of the things that I think is so critical as well, obviously, relationships being the centerpiece, you know, to do anything in real estate in many regards, it comes down to negotiation. And I'm a firm believer is, you know, that if we start with strong relationships, that obviously puts us at a, a huge advantage from a negotiation perspective. But talk to me a little bit about some principles uh, from a negotiation perspective that you have found to be very important for people who want to take their negotiating game to the next level. 
Let's start with just the value of negotiating, because I've met many people in real estate and in other fields who negotiate regularly but never had any formal training. So let me use an example of an employee. And I know most of your listeners may not be a standard kind of 1090 or W-2 employee, but you'll get the analogy. Imagine you're 25 years old and you get a job offer for $60,000. But instead of taking that job, before you accept, you go and negotiate and you negotiate for $61,000, just $1,000 more. That's not a huge lift. We can all imagine that's doable. If you do nothing else in your career, that one five-minute negotiation just got you $1,000 more for 40 years. Five minutes earned you $40,000. But of course, you're not going to stay at that job for 40 years. You're going to have raises and promotions and other jobs, and you're going to negotiate for more than just $1,000. In fact, learning to negotiate can easily bring you six figures in lifetime earnings. I'm not talking about being the world's best negotiator. I'm not talking about solving the Middle East peace crisis. We're just talking about getting a little bit better, and that can easily earn you hundreds of thousands of dollars. Read a book or two, take an online class, invest 10, 20 hours, and it can add a massive amount of value. And when you think of it this way, you say, oh my God, why have I not learned to negotiate? Now, I gave the example, of course, for an employee, Many of your listeners may not be employees, but they're certainly doing deals regularly. And if you can just do even 1% better on your deals, it doesn't necessarily mean 1% more money. It might mean just more convenience or better terms on, on fees that you're using to fund the particular deal. There's lots of creative ways. It's not all monetary. But if you can get just even 1% better in every deal, what will that do to your lifetime earnings? Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor, then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line. 10 ways to increase cash flow in an apartment complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. It's so good. And it, it, it truly is the highest value activity that we engage in as real estate investors. And of course, you know, I, we were talking about networking prior, and I think relationship building is truly the highest. And that's like the highest lifetime value of time well spent is investing in relationships. But understanding the concepts of negotiation and how emotions are involved and how we can place principles and how we can really share principles and we can find common ground and we can work on the same side of the table to find outcomes that serve each other's goals, I think is so important. But when you think of training in a negotiation perspective, you mentioned a few things, right? Read books, take a course and so forth. If you were to, you know, really sit down with a real estate entrepreneur and say, Hey, look, if you want to, apply this compound interest of this highest value activity, where would you start? I mean, what would you, what would you suggest for folks? 
certainly start with a book or a class. And I have a chapter on uh, in mine on the website. I list other great negotiation books if you want to go with one of those. But here's the other key thing. You mentioned at the start, you said, yeah, we don't learn these. We didn't learn about networking or negotiating or how to do tax advantage, certain types of financial deals. We don't learn any of that in school. But if I have to learn certain tax treatments, okay, that's not that hard to learn. I can read a book or listen to an expert, watch a webinar and get the knowledge because that's just knowledge. That's just saying, oh, the tax laws are now this and here's what I have to do and put money this way. That is knowledge transfer. That's very different than the skills that we're talking about, networking, leadership, communication, negotiation, because there is no simple, here is the algorithm to negotiate. Here are the three steps and suddenly you can network with anyone. It's never yeah. quite that simple. It's more subtle and complex. So the way you want to learn these skills, the way we teach them at MIT, the way they're taught at top business schools is through peer learning. And here's what you want to do. You want to create a group. I recommend about six to eight people in size, but you can do a larger one. And for most of your audience who probably they are solo practitioners or in small groups, Find your peers and create this group with other people. You don't have to be in your company. So create this group, create a local meetup group if you don't have anyone else to do this with. In fact, feel free to bring in, if you're doing it with outside people, people from different fields to get different perspectives. So you create this group of people and then you get together and engage with some content. So you can take my book and I show how to chop up into different pieces and you read these 10 pages. If you don't want to use my book, use a different book, use a great podcast like this one, use an online article, whatever you want, engage with that content, read those pages, and then you get together and discuss it. And you unpack and we talk about, let's say negotiating. And we talk about, oh, well, this is a strategy. Okay, what do you think? What do you take away? How are you going to approach this? Then I might say, you know, I have a negotiation coming up and here's what I'm thinking. Can you give me your thoughts or feedback? And you might say, oh, here's a negotiation I had like that, and here's what I did and what worked and what didn't. And so we are gaining experience through each other. The analogy I use, it's like learning sports. No one says, hey, the best way to learn basketball is read a book, watch <laughs> a video, and, and then you're done. And especially one and done, right? You had that two-day training, you're done. You don't have to practice basketball anymore. But with these skills, like learning a sport, you need to come back to it regularly you need to drill, you need to train, you need to watch the tape. Now by having, say this meeting every two weeks, you're, you're keeping a good cadence. By discussing it, that's how we're training. You can drill by doing practice sessions. Either we talk about the negotiation you're about to enter and we all kind of, oh, well, maybe try this or that. That gives me some negotiating experience. You can also for negotiation specifically, you can get case studies. So a top business school will sell case studies. There are a few dollars each. So invest, spend those tens of dollars, do a negotiation case study. And you and I are going to sit there and we each have our role sheets. And okay, what am I trying to achieve? I don't tell you that. And you have the same. And we practice negotiating. And then we debrief and look at what we did and, and how we did and what we left on the table. And so that is how we can drill. And then in hearing each other's cases, that's also how we watch the tape. I hear about what you did in your negotiation. That's like watching you play the game and say, oh, look at that technique. So we can basically use this technique to develop all these skills. And here's the best part, it costs nothing. 
maybe you buy my book or a different one near zero cost, or again, use a great podcast like this where there's no cost. You do it for free. And by the way, this is a great way to develop you, those relationships to expand your network because you've got the group of people you're meeting with week after week. Mark, th- what you just suggested is worth millions of dollars for the listeners. I mean, truly, and, and it may sound like conjecture, it may sound like I'm, I'm, I'm overestimating this, but truly, this can be worth millions of dollars. It can be worth, you know, lifestyle it can be worth priceless things that we can't really measure because negotiation is truly the most valuable skill that we can develop and strengthen and refine. And I believe that I truly believe that repetition is the mother of all skill. And what you just shared there is applicable. We can apply this immediately. We can surround ourselves with other people and say, Hey, I want to get better at this most valuable skill. So let's do this together. Let's role play. Hey, here's a real world example of something that, you know, I'm actually looking to do next week. And so can you play the, uh, the seller or whatever? And I just think that that's so, so valuable. So I want to encourage the listener to go back and re-listen to that. So I really appreciate that. Are there any other, any other practical tips that you might suggest? And by the way, before I ask that question, I'll say definitely read the career toolkit as well as there's two other books that I've found really valuable on negotiation is um, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss, uh, the FBI hostage negotiator, and also Getting to Yes um, from the Harvard uh, Business uh, Project, Negotiation Project. And so those are two that I've found to be very valuable. But is there any other practical tips that you might suggest for folks beyond the repetition, the practice and surrounding themselves uh, with others? And I've got a few more books listed on the resources page as well. Uh, One thing I would just want to note about this technique I mentioned and about the benefits, because we did the math on why negotiation, why getting better at negotiating can help you, right? You do the math, go, wow, there's real dollars here. This ROI happens to be true for pretty much all these skills. No one is going to say, you're a better networker, so here's 1% more in some deal right? You're a better leader. You're a better communicator. Here is X dollars more. But by being a better networker, what happens? More deals come to us, more opportunities. By being a better communicator, you're more memorable or raise your visibility or people just like to work with you better. So it's not that's going to be X dollars each time, but each of these skills getting just a little bit better can also add significant returns to your lifetime just in a less linear way. Mark, this is really fun. I'm enjoying this immensely. I hope you are too. But what we're talking about here is interpersonal dynamics and and how valuable this can be. And all of this compounds in every direction. You have mentioned this a few times uh, in what you just said there about communication. And obviously communication applies to networking and negotiating. But in general, you've found that this is a skill that hasn't been taught or wasn't taught to many of us uh, in terms of how to refine this, how to take this to the next level. So Talk to me about negotiation. First of all, where are most people missing the mark? And what would you suggest for folks who want to take things to the next level from a communication standpoint? For negotiation, the number one thing people miss is preparation. I'm going to use another sports analogy. How often do you see your team? I say, well, you know, once a week, Monday night football, I see them play for three hours. That's not all that they do. Most of those people spend most of their time not on the field. They are training. They are watching the video. They are running drills. They're playing scrimmage games. They're doing a lot more work off the field than on the field. But so many negotiators say, oh, okay, well, I got a negotiation. I'm just going to step on the field. I'm going to step into that room and negotiate. 
doing the preparation work, whether that's just general training, as we talked about, or preparation for this particular negotiation, doing your research is going to help you immensely. I agree. And that it's something that I've had to learn in some ways, the hard way, just on the podcast. It's like, if I want to have a great conversation, if I want to bring out insight from an individual like yourself, I got to think ahead. You know, I got to study. I got to get to know what's going on in your world. What's your expertise? What's going on with your story? And what is it that you want to share with the world? And what are you most passionate about? And it comes down to, you know, really kind of getting a sense of what are you all about, but then also writing down, well, what might I ask? And also be being willing to dance in a conversation a bit. And I think that when I'm prepared, I'm so much more calm. I'm so much more poised. I'm so much more present with the other person. I don't know if that resonates with you as well, but preparation to me is a big one. It does. And here I'll throw in one more negotiation tip. There is often an analogy made between negotiating and improv or jazz. Because in negotiating, and you do this as well on your show, I can suddenly make some comment. I can take us in a direction you weren't expecting. And you can either say, um, oh, what do I do? Or because you've been prepared and because you are an experienced host, you can say, okay, well, Mark's doing this. Let's follow up on that. When we negotiate, I can give you my offer and you can come back with a counter offer with a whole bunch of things I never expected. Wow, I didn't even think we'd be discussing that aspect of it. But okay, I'm trained in improv and jazz and those two things, unlike, for example, traditional comedy, I do some stand-up comedy, there I am well rehearsed. Not just the words down to the syllables, where the pauses are, where I emphasize. It's more so than any other public speaking I do. I have to know it exactly this way. But improv, I have no idea what's coming next. It's all a surprise. And can I roll with the punches and react and not get thrown? And that's what happens in negotiations. You're going to come to me with things. I wasn't exactly expecting that, but I'm prepared to now respond to it. And I think that preparation, it almost trains your brain for mental dexterity to say, hey, when we need to dance a little bit, when there's a little bit of jazz and we went into a different direction that we didn't expect to, we can, you know, stay on our feet and we don't fall back and we can stay on our toes and we can be dynamic. I feel like that's a that's a, a dynamic training and that preparation, it almost puts our brain in a perspective to say, hey, you know what, I anticipated that this may happen where I anticipated a general sense of where this conversation may lead. And so now I'm prepared to bring it in the direction where I want to bring it. But I also think that it comes down to if we can, if we truly have the sense of, Hey, you know what? I'm not here to rip someone off. Like we were talking about negotiation. I'm not here to rip you off. I'm here to, you know, find a mutually beneficial outcome. And I think if you come to it with that framework, as well as prepare to understand, Hey, well, here are the things that are non-negotiable for me. And I communicate that and I'm clear about why that's important. But then I'm also clear about understanding and listening to you and saying, well, what, what's important to you and what is it that you want? And I think that mental dexterity and the combination there is very important. But would you say that listening is a, is a critical skill of communication as well? Absolutely. For negotiating and for communicating, a lot of communicating really is about listening. There is a great quote. I think it's anonymous. I don't know the source. When we're engaged in a conversation, are you listening or are you just waiting to speak? Right. Like how often are going, okay, yeah, yeah, finish whatever it is you're saying because <laughs> I've got the thing I want to say. Yes. And I'm just waiting for you to pause versus let me actually pay attention to what you're saying. 
oh, that might change how I think about or how I respond. I'm engaged in the conversation and not just doing my monologue between your your interjected words. That is a that is when we take things to the next level, because a lot of times people get so caught up and they get nervous about a negotiation or they get nervous about, you know, a critical communication, whether they're negotiating a, a deal or they're trying to you know bring an investor on to their their opportunity. They get so caught up in, well, here's what I expect and and here's what they're going to say. And here's what I'm going to say back to that. I think what we're talking about is, hey, let's let's calm down. Let's take a breath and let's engage in a true conversation and a true relationship. And it comes down to listening and pausing and saying, well, wait a minute, I don't have this long prepared monologue for, for a response here. I'm actually engaging in a true conversation. So that's also a deposit into the relationship. But what other tips might you have for folks who are wanting to take their communication skills to the next level as well? You know, communication is a very broad topic. You could read 12 different books on it and they cover 12 completely different things all of which are useful, but in different ways. And so we have to recognize when we say communication, what do we even mean? Because there's a difference between writing very effective emails versus being able to stand on the TED stage and deliver a fantastic speech. You can be great at one, but not the other. So understand how does communication play into what you do? Now, in my book, I spend a lot of the chapter focused on a very fundamental type of communication that comes across all these different channels, and that is understanding our mental models. So here's a very simple version of it. We've all met people who are left brain and right brain. So imagine you want to pitch some idea to someone who is extremely left brain. So imagine, I always think of Sheldon Cooper from the Big Bang Theory. Yeah, yeah that's good. I used to be Sheldon Cooper for the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> if you had to pitch an idea to Sheldon, how would you do it? Like, okay, well, I have to be very logical and mm -hmm. organized, precise. I'm going to have a step-by-step -step plan that follows. And it doesn't matter if this is detailed, I even drone on, as long as there's logic, Sheldon's going to be with me and follow it. Now imagine the opposite of him. Imagine someone who is extremely right brain, maybe very creative, perhaps a little scatterbrain, really big picture. If you went through droning on step by step in all the details, you're going to lose that person in 30 seconds. Yes. You have to do a very different type of pitch. You have to do an emotional pitch. You have to tell a story. You have to engage in a different way. And knowing who you are engaging with, knowing who you're speaking with, that's going to change your approach. Now, that's a very simple model, but in the book, again, to different ways we can look at, different ways we can construct these models, and you can understand who your audience is, whether a single person or a larger group, and adjust your communication style to match the needs of your audience. Mark, that is absolute gold. And I think about this, and sometimes I do this subconsciously, and some of the people who I admire most in, in communication, whether it's verbal, nonverbal, um, written, or, you know, speaking from stage, it's they truly understand who they're speaking to. And they understand that there's a different mental model for many different types of personalities. So I think that is so, so valuable. And it's almost like you can be a chameleon. You don't change who you are, but you change your mode of communication in those circumstances. Am I saying that correctly, Mark? You are, in fact, an analogy I often use, imagine if I was going to France, and I'm going to give a talk that I give in the US all the time, but I'm gonna give it in France. Well, ideally, I'm going to give it in French. 
it's the same content, the same ideas, but I'm just changing it up slightly. I'm using slightly different words, even if the concept is the same. Now, if I can't do that, and unfortunately I don't speak French, so I'm gonna have to give the speech in English. Now, what happens? Everyone there presumably speaks English, but they might not be a fluent or a native speaker. So everyone in the audience has to sit there and listen and hear the words and in their head translate into French before they can understand it. And I think of it like your computer. Your computer has a certain processor, but if we said, oh, guess what? Your processor has to spend 20% of the time doing something else, your computer slows down. It's not gonna be as fast doing whatever you're trying to do. And when you're speaking to someone, communicating not in how they want to receive it, whether a different language, English versus French, or a different mental model, you're basically putting a mental tax on them. You're causing their brain to spend this time doing that translation, and that's less time and resources they have to focus on your message, take it in and understand it. Mark, you are my type of person. I'm telling you that right now because I just love the depth with which you have studied these skills and your understanding like, you know what, this is not one dimensional. This is this is very multidimensional, but it's very exciting because we get to unlock new parts of ourselves and new depths to our own capacity. And, you know, there's a couple other skills that you talk about in the book when it comes to leading, when it comes to career planning, both of which are critically important to entrepreneurs, real estate entrepreneurs as well. Let's start with leading, and, and I, I want to be respectful of your time, so we only have a little bit more time before we go to the rapid-fire section of the podcast, a rare air questionnaire. But let's talk about leading, because for folks who are wanting to do anything substantial in the real estate business, it comes down to leading, whether it's vendors, um, partners, their team, maybe it's property managers, maybe it's other investors, maybe it's even residents or, or tenants. I think leadership comes in many different capacities, but talk to me about where perhaps maybe some folks are missing the mark on leadership and maybe some quick tips for folks to take things to the next level there as well. Most people think of leadership as a holistic skill. I am a good leader. I'm going to be a better leader. But again, I'm gonna use a sports analogy. That's like saying I am a good basketball player. What does that mean? You can be a good basketball player who is great at hitting shots, great at free throws, great at passing, great at defense, great at rebounding. You can have five different basketball players who are all great in different ways, but they're all great basketball players. Leadership is not a single skill. It's not, oh, I am a great negotiator. Okay, well, it's very clear when and where you negotiate, and then other times you're not, but leadership is more holistic. So what you can do to develop your leadership is look at leaders you admire. Now, that might be people you know personally. It might be leaders you're aware of, maybe on TV or in your industry. You don't know them personally, but you, you see them. You have a sense of them. You've seen them lead. Could even be fictional leaders from a TV show or a book. Find these leaders and then ask yourself, what is it I admire about this particular leader? and write down those attributes, those skills, those things that these leaders do and recognize you're gonna get that list. And maybe it is shooting, maybe it is rebounding. You say, okay, that's what resonates with me. Now I'm going to work on those skills. Now, of course, the skills in the book and one of the reasons I wrote the book as I did, because there are books just on negotiations, just on networking, just on leadership, but Good leaders know how to negotiate. Good negotiators know how to communicate. These skills all reinforce and build upon each other. So recognize first, any of these skills will help you be a better leader, 
but then there's other attributes as well. And so don't think about, ooh, leader, that's like trying to juggle 10 balls at once. Focus on a particular skill set, develop that, and that will make you a better leader. That's direct, directly applicable today. So that's an actionable call to action that I think that many of the listeners can go ahead and do. I actually just wrote it down myself, attributes of leaders I admire. And you know what are those skills that I can then work on? And I can think of several in my mind right now, and they don't, they're not necessarily directly related to real estate, but there's so many other leaders who you admire and maybe the way that they communicate, the way that they carry themselves, the way that they acknowledge other people, the way that they direct, you know, certain outcomes. I mean, there's so many different facets, but I love it too. And I love how all of this combines in each other and, and it really, you know, supports each other. And it's, it's the compound interest of everything. And so when you think about planning the arc of your career, I mean, a lot of the folks who are listening are real estate investors, whether they're doing that full-time, whether they're doing that on the side, whether they have a team, maybe they're a solo practitioner, as you mentioned earlier. And thinking about the arc of their career, it's about creating more value and adding value and offering value to other people, creating impact in different ways. But talk to me about how folks should be thinking about the arc of their career, whether they're investors or entrepreneurs. In chapter one, I lay out how to create and execute a career plan. Now, often I get pushback when I speak to entrepreneurs, founders, solopreneurs who say, what do you mean career? I've got it, right? I started this company. I run my business. Here's the thing. Your career is more than just a title. Your title may not change for the next few decades. You might say, I am the CEO of my company, or I am the one running this business. That's fine. Keep the same title. But what else is going to change? It's going to be your skill development. It might be the area in which you play. So it might be for real estate investors, maybe you're doing primarily single family homes, but you want to get into multifamily units. You want to get into commercial real estate. Maybe you're in commercial. Now you want to get more into malls or warehouses. It might be other areas. Now, I'm sure your, your investors are smart enough to say, well, if I've been doing single family homes and I can say, oh, tomorrow, I think I'll just start investing in warehouses. For real estate, it's real estate. It's land. I'm just buying different land. Like, no, there are subtleties. So what's the plan for how you go from where you are today to where you want to be? For people who are in traditional employment jobs, we say, okay, you're in this role. You want to get to that role. In my case, I said, I'm a I'm a software developer today. I want to be a CTO tomorrow. What are the missing pieces that I need to be a CTO? So if you're investing in this today, but you want to invest in something else tomorrow, what's that gap? And then what's the plan for filling in the gap? And that's what you want to develop. That resonates with me very deeply. When I got into the business, I was a commercial real estate agent. Then I was a commercial real estate broker. And then I started investing on the side. And now I've made this leap, you know, over the past several years to full-time investing. And I'm sure that many of the listeners are considering their constant evolution. I believe that the only constant is change. And for us to be continually impactful and, you know, have an ability of creating and adding value, we've got to be open to continual evolution as well. So I think this planning and understanding where do those gaps exist is critical. So Mark, I just love your work, man. And, and I think that um, there's so much that we could really, we're, we're scratching the surface in many ways, but is there anything else that you would add to that before we move on? No, I think we've covered a really good area. Maybe the one other thing I'll mention, there's also a free app that I created to go with the book. Because one thing I know it happens when you read a book like this, you say, wow, this is great, this is useful. And then you forget it all three weeks later. So the app is something that's free from the Android and iPhone stores. And if you go to my website, it'll link you to there. 
You download, you only need to open it once every 30 days, just so we know that you're still active. And then you don't even need to open it each day. It's just going to pop up one of the tips from the book to help keep it top of mind, to help keep it fresh. So you remember this bear. I love it. Mark, thank you so much, man. And we'll put a link in the show notes as to where the listeners can find the career toolkit as well as the app. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you're like, man, I want more of Mark, you know, obviously he's a speaker and he is, he is offering, you know, his services. And I'm, I'm saying that out of the goodness of my heart, because I want, you know, Mark to be out there. And I think that he can add a ton of value to your organization, whether you are national, regional or whatever. So just consider Mark, but before we uh, wrap this episode, Mark, I want to transition into the rare air questionnaire. This is the rapid fire section of our podcast. It is about being uncommon. You know, a lot about the stuff that we've talked about today is about being uncommon. We're not just scratching the surface. We're actually going deep into these different concepts, which can really transform your life and can transform everything that you're doing. So I've got a few questions for you. Um, we've mentioned many books and, you know, we've, we've touched on many, but if you were to point to two or three of the most impactful books that you've read over the fat, past few years, what would those be and why? One of the best books I ever read. This is earlier in my career. It's called Peopleware. Tom DeMarco and Timothy Lister. It is technically on how to develop software, but there's not a line of code in it. It is the best management book I have ever read. And it really gets down to projects fail, not for technical reasons, not because the designs for your building, no one could figure out how to do them. It's not that complicated. The software building isn't that complicated. It's the people reasons. It's the communication. It's the dynamics of people. And focusing on that is what's going to help save or harm a particular project. That was a great one. One of my personal favorites, The Charisma Myth by my friend, Olivia Fox Caban. And it turns out charisma is a skill that you can learn just like accounting or golf. And understanding that made me recognize if you can learn charisma, you can learn any of the things I have in my book. And really all these are things, people who are, we see some like, oh, you're naturally charismatic. Some people are. Some are also natural golfers but other people get there because they've trained and studied and practiced. And you can do the same with charisma and really any of these skills. So those are two really great books. Ooh, that's exciting. I'm, I'm excited to pick that one up. And um, it all comes down to personal development at the end of the day. It's about how are you learning and growing and investing in yourself. And I'm excited to, uh, to, to dive into both of those books. Mark, what is the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis? I help other people. Boom. There it is. I love it. Drop the mic on that one. And you've helped a lot of people today. There's no doubt about that. And when it comes down to helping other people, my next question is, what's the biggest way do you elevate others around you? Lots of different ways from the teaching that I do at MIT and other places, going on podcasts and sharing knowledge with others. The volunteer work I do, I'm lucky to be on the boards of Techie Youth, where we're helping kids in the foster care system and at-risk youth develop skills so we can put them on a career path. I'm also on Plant a Million Corals. We're trying to save the ocean coral population. So there's lots of different ways I've been fortunate enough to help others. Mark, I want to acknowledge you, man. You are authentic. Uh, you have passion. You mentioned it early in the, in the in the conversation, your passion, but it really came through today. And I just appreciate you so much. I appreciate your intellectual curiosity and continuing to challenge yourself, but also giving that to so many people. This has been an awesome conversation. I really appreciate you taking time. Is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? 
I would just suggest create those peer learning groups because again, sure, read my book. That'd be great. Read another book if you think that's fair. Keep listening to this podcast and other podcasts to continue to learn and develop. But creating these peer learning groups will help you get more out of this show, this podcast, my book, other books. It's really going to help you. And if you go to my website, thecareertoolkitbook.com, there you can not only learn more about the book and touch with me, follow me on social media. You can also go to the app page to download the app. But if you go to the resources page, you're going to have links to other books, including great negotiation books, books on other topics we've covered. There's a links to other free resources online. And there's a bunch of free downloads, including the first download is how to create this peer learning program completely free. I give this all away for free because I just want to help other people. So all of this at thecareertoolkitbook.com. Yep. And we will put a link in the show notes as to where the listeners can find that as well as where you can find Mark across social media. Mark, this has been fantastic. I uh, can't wait to have another discussion with you. And uh, thanks again for taking time, my friend. Thanks for having me on the show. Elevate Nation. Wow, I truly had so much fun with Mark Hirschberg and learned so much. I mean, there was really some new nuances to negotiation, to communication, to building relationships, to leadership, and to understanding and building that arc of our career and planning for the next iteration of where we're going. And I just really learned a lot today. I hope you did as well. I want to encourage you to re-listen to the show. I want to encourage you to build that peer group, to discuss, discuss what you learned today, maybe even role play, whether it's negotiation, whether it's communication, um, what is it that you can do to take your skills to the next level? That's what today is all about. And I want to encourage you to apply this because that's really what the most important part of this is. Because if you listen, that's the first opportunity for now you for, for now for you to take action. And of course, as I mentioned in the episode, repetition is the mother of all skills. So listen again, you're going to learn twice as much. And when you discuss with someone else, you're going to anchor in that understanding for lasting change which is what it's all about. Elevate Nation, thank you so, so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.